0: And now for something completely different. It's a Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story, real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance
1: Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning and welcome to the Wednesday edition. That's right. It's already hump day. You know, uh, this uh, week just flying by already, of course, as we get into June. Yesterday, the first trading day of June, markets uh, opened up fairly strong yesterday, finished up today kind of flat, just not really kind of going much anywhere. This morning, futures are about flat again. So it's been a kind of a lackluster start to the month so far, you know, but we'll see how this continues to work out. You know, after the recent pipeline attack by ransomware that froze up the pipeline now that was uh, delivering, you know, gasoline from basically Texas up to the East Coast, um, we've now got another attack, cyber attack on meat processing plants. So this is now a major meat producer that's been hacked and have shut down operations now. Now, this is, you know, they're saying they're going to be back up very quickly. But, you know, the interesting thing about this is that we've often talked about in the past here on the show that you know world war three isn't going to be you know fought on the ground between troops and soldiers and those type of things it won't be the traditional warfare it'll be cyber attacks um, between countries and so it's kind of interesting you know one of the things that has always been a worry about you know being connected and everything's online is exactly this you know if you want to really cripple an economy what you do is, is you attack the very essential infrastructure of that economy food production fuel production, water supplies, those type of things. So, you know, and look, I'm not saying I'm not saying that this is what this is. I mean we've just got two isolated events, but you know, are these something that we need to be more concerned about long term? Are these, you know, are these penetration tests, so to speak. But it does show you know the vulnerability and this is you know something You know people make fun of preppers all the time they're like you know all oh, those preppers are you know they're always over there you know prepping for the you know for the end of the world type thing this is the type of thing you need to pay attention to because look this is a serious you know issue right if you start to disrupt food supplies and gasoline supplies uh, supplies around the country um you know that leads to a whole lot of other you know problems down the road economically And this is not coming at a great time. You know, obviously right now we've already got a lot of supply chain disruptions, which are causing big inflationary surges in the U.S., right? So, you you know, if you've tried to build a deck in your backyard, (laughs) you know, the cost of lumber is up 400 percent over the course of the last year alone. And this is all part of the supply disruption that we created, you know, uh, artificially when we shut down the economy. Right. So now you've got these you got more of these supply disruptions coming, gasoline, food, et cetera, that are coming up at really kind of the worst possible times, you know, for the economy. This is going to cause, you know, prices to, to rise and in, 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 in the cost of meat. And of course, the government is already looking on the lookout, uh, so to speak, for uh, price gouging for, you know, meat, et cetera. But again, these are things that, you know, while we often make fun of those people kind of a far extreme, you know, these are the type of things That can really cause a lot of problems economically. So, you know, while the market's not really paying a whole lot of attention to this right now, these are the things that can ultimately disrupt or really cause a disconnect between the markets, and when you, and particularly when you have markets this disconnected from underlying valuations, this is what can cause those. Price reversions. This isn't it. My, My and my point about this conversation is that this is always the thing that triggers a very large correction in financial markets. It is always the unexpected, exogenous event. If the market knows about it, right, the market prices it in pretty quickly. You know, the market's already been looking forward to things like inflationary pressure, supply chain disruptions. Those things have all been priced into the asset market. So uh, prices have already adjusted for potential impacts to earnings because it's so well known. And markets are very good about adopting all relevant information into the current price of the markets. What the market can't price in, and particularly the case when markets are very extended from long-term means, what the market can't price in is the unexpected exogenous event that comes along that trips up a bigger economic event, that causes a slowdown in earnings, a.k.a. we shut down the economy in March. The, the, The market had no idea that the, that the government was going to shut down the economy in March. And that's what caused that big correction in March of last year. And so, you know, these are the issues that, you know, we deal with from time to time in the markets that cause these big dislocations where investors aren't really ready for that type of, of outcome. And again, you've got a market today that, where investors are extremely complacent about risk. And we've written some articles about this recently on our website, if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, we've got several articles out talking about the understanding of risk and returns and what happens over time. And and the one thing that that investors get lulled into is the sense of complacency where they say, this time is different. And this time is different because of this reason or that reason. Right now, the most common reason is, is, this time is different because of the Federal Reserve. But it's always been different in history. Go back to 2007, 2008, 1999, 1970, you go 1929. Every one of those periods in time were different and they were different just long enough until there was an exogenous event that created the, the, the undermining of confidence in the overall market. And then you had the subsequent correction in the financial markets. And this is the risk that we face today, right? The, the risk that we face is not really any, you know, any one event. What the risk is, is the overall complacency that investors have picked up that, well, basically, if I just put money in the market, it just goes up over time. It's a risk-free bet to have money in, invested in the markets. And that's the one thing that the market is not. It is not risk-free. The market is all about risk. And that is where the potential for reward comes from. But risk in and of itself is the very nature of loss, right? We never equate risk with a positive outcome. Right. If you drive, if you drive really fast in your car with a blindfold, you take a lot of risk. It's very exuberant. You know, while you're doing it, it's very exhilarating right, while you're doing it. But the risk is is huge that you're going to have a negative outcome. Risk is never associated with a positive outcome. Risk is always the negative outcome. So. Yes, we take on more risk. We can potentially make a bigger reward. But the risk is, of course, of the loss. And this is this is one we always kind of try to equate this back. But when you take a look at what's happening in the economy right now, there's a lot of complacency about the expectations of growth in the future. And that's, that's okay for now. There's nothing wrong with that. And the markets have been certainly pricing that expectation in of extremely strong economic growth here over the course of the rest of this year and into 2022. The risk comes of some unexpected exogenous event. Again, it's not the meat, process, meat processing plant uh, being shut down by a cyber attack. But those are the things you want to pay attention to because those are things that come out of nowhere They can have a much bigger impact on the overall economy. So again, it's not the one event it's the it, that you have to pay attention to. It's the event that comes along that nobody was expecting ever. And that's the one thing that trips investors up. And this is why it's always important to manage that risk in your portfolio and be aware of, of, of how much risk you've taken because that's gonna be the, the impact of the loss when that risk event eventually occurs. All right, quick break, we're gonna come back. Got a lot of stuff to get into this morning. Danny Ratliff joined this morning. We talked a little bit about Biden and the funny math of his budget. Again, nobody's gonna pay attention to this budget anyway. It's a, it's kind of now just the uh, perfunctionary you know, issuance of a budget by a president just to say he did something. But there's some interesting math behind it. We'll talk about that as well right here on the on the Real Investment Show. Don't go away.
0: daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the seven in ten people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual Lunch and Learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com. For our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care, June 24th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
1: back to the show today. Of course, it is uh, Wednesday as we get today underway. Danny Ratliff joining us this morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. The number of children being named Karen is plummeting now that Karen has become a meme name, right? <laughs> oh, don't be a Karen. Nobody wants to name their kids Karen anymore.
2: <laughs> so
1: what's the, who's going to be the new Karen?
2: I mean, they're going to have to come up with a new name. for.
1: Yeah, exactly. It'll be... You know, no, you know, nobody names their kid like Betty anymore or Doris, right? Yeah. Or Jezebel. <laughs> well, that one kind of took on its own yeah. <laughs> its own meme <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, anyway, just trivia this morning. Anyway, uh, Biden just proposed his budget here recently, and there's a you know a lot of funny math that actually goes behind the budget. No, no. First of all, he's talking about a six hundred. I um, sorry a six trillion dollar budget. Just think about that for a moment that that's spending for one year six trillion dollars. now that's only about 800 billion dollars more than what we spent last year. so it's not like it's you know blowing the, the the cover off the ball here in terms of what we're spending. it's just we've gotten that far down the road to where we're just spending a tremendous amount of money and and the problem becomes the fact that we don't actually have a budget. Uh, These budgets are kind of this perfunctionary, you know, issuance by the president. He, You know, he throws together a budget and throws it out into the universe, and that's about as far as it goes. We haven't had a budget, actually passed a budget, since... George Bush II was in office, right? (laughs) So the last time we had a budget was in 2008. We haven't had a budget since then. How have we been funding the government? Well, we fund the government by the use of what's called a continuing resolution. What a continuing resolution is, is the worst possible way to manage the finances of the country. Because all it does is says, okay, Danny, you know, Danny's been just spending like a drunken sailor last year. Right. And, you know, because he drinks a lot. Um, (laughs) But Danny was drink, you know, drinking and spending all last year. And he comes to me, he says, you know, hey, I need I need my money for the next year. Right. So I say, okay well, you spent way too much last year. But I tell you what, we're going to give you that much money plus another eight percent this year. And that's the way we've been running the government. We don't actually budget for anything. We just say, okay, whatever you spent last year, you get a you get that plus another eight percent this year. And the problem with that, of course, is is that in the government, if you don't spend it, you lose the money, right? So they're going to spend all that money plus the eight percent. And this is why our, our our deficits and debts keep going up every year because of this outcome. But again. That's how we're funding the government. We're simply passing these continuing resolutions. Every year we come up with say, okay, well, how much money do we need? We pass a continuing resolution that's going to fund the government for another three, four, five months until we're supposed to pass another budget. And we get to that point and we pass another continuing resolution, and so goes the merry-go-round. And this is the, the problem where we are today. But there were some interesting numbers. So this, this budget is irrelevant. It will go nowhere. It will not be used for any— <laughs> any useful purpose whatsoever. But this is what we base outcomes on. And we look at these things and say, well, the Biden budget is only going to increase the deficit by, you know, 2% over the next decade. Well, how do you get to that number? Well, to get to that number, you've got to include your interest rate, which, you know, calculates the service on your debt. You have to include your inflationary expectations, which affects all the other spending within your within your budget. And when you look at those numbers, this is where you find out where all the hinky math is coming in. Now, right now, everybody's talking about inflation. Inflation is the problem, right? We've got surging, you know, surging home prices. We've got surging food prices. Now, with the, the shutdown of this meatpacking plant, um, we're going to have you know higher cost of meat. You know, those type of things. So the cost of inflation, CPI is going to be running near four, well, actually is running near four percent right now. The Biden budget account is basically based on inflation staying below one and a half percent for the next 10 years. How about economic growth? Economic growth is going to be three percent over the next decade. Interest rates are going to be below one and a half percent over the next decade. Now, you can't have economic, strong economic growth and low interest rates. Those two can't exist together. So, But by using these substitute numbers and saying, okay, well, if we can just maintain interest rates at 1.5% for the next decade, then we can spend a whole lot more money because that's been the whole premise of spending, right? We can spend all we want because interest rates are low. It's all fine and dandy until interest rates aren't low anymore but we're at 133% of debt to GDP currently after our spending binge last year on you know bailing out you know uh, the cares act and the emergency funding act and and you know the heroes act in december of last year we're 133% to debt to GDP so again as we continue to mount more and more debt this is increasing more and more of the payments that we've got to make to support that debt right now as we speak it requires more than 100 percent of the revenues we collect through taxes just to fund Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, prescription drug benefits, the Affordable Care Act you know, benefits and interest on the debt. That's what we call mandatory spending that has to be paid no matter what happens in the world. That has to be paid. When people talk about, oh, if we shut down the government, boy, you know, we're just going to, you know, people are going to be, you know, retirees, they're going to be out on the street because we shut down. the No, that's a big myth that comes out of the media just to try to scare people into forcing politicians to do something. No matter what happens, that mandatory spending, which is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, prescription drug benefits, interest on the debt, that gets paid regardless we issue the we issue the the, the the money we issue the debt to pay that that happens what doesn't get paid and that's why whenever we have these shutdowns you know we shut down the parks <laughs> those are those are non-mandatory you know defense spending national parks education that gets shut down right because that is non-mandatory but that mandatory spending always gets paid so that's the, so that's, that's what we're dealing with, is that these budgets are fine and dandy. They're not going to amount to much. But it's that you've got to pay attention to the math, because what they're using in terms of the math projections is what lowers these costs and says, oh, well, we can do this. And basically, if, you, if, if we keep these things, you know, this, you know his $6, billion, $6 trillion spending package isn't going to increase you know, the debt much at all. That's what the CBO said back in 2000. In 2000, the CBO said by 2010, the U.S. economy would be running a trillion-dollar surplus. In 2010, we were running a trillion-dollar deficit. The CBO and these projections and all this other stuff, you need to take them, throw them out the window because they are completely worthless. But it's all there just to provide a cushion to allow politicians to spend more money without responsibility anyway having said that danny
2: good morning hey good morning but you know this this is a great segue because this leads into you know what we're learning more and more about from a tax perspective right and so you know we've been talking about this since the election obviously knowing that you know biden is planning on raising taxes well uh we laid out just this last week in the Treasury Department's Green Book that was released Friday for the full year budget of 2022, what those tax plans may look like. And some of this is not good. You know, obviously, there's going to be a uh, they want to change capital gain rates. So currently, we're looking at, you know, 20 percent is the top capital gain tax rate plus 3.8 percent um, for the Obamacare tax. If you make over two hundred fifty thousand dollars, there's now going to be. Looking at raising that to 39.6%, but making it. Here's the big kicker we knew that we knew those numbers already, but now they're looking to actually come back and make it retroactive to April 28th. So if you sold anything between now and the end of the year, it would be considered at the higher tax rate, is what this assumes. Now, this may not pass. Um, The likelihood. You know, I'm reading lots of different things from the Tax Institute, from different uh, nonpartisan areas, and a lot of them think that this is one part of the bill that may stick. Now, those rates may not be as high, though. You know, the, the word is kind of that on the street that it may be 25 to 28%. A lot of these things we have to keep in mind that they're just ideas. They're throwing things out there, and as they're trying to get these things done and accomplish a goal— they're going to throw something way on the other side of what their actual benchmark is so that when we, we come back to the table and they negotiate these things down, they likely get what they wanted to begin with. So one of the more interesting ideas that they have, though, is that, Lance, and I don't know how much you've, you've read about this, is that now they want to have, they want to eliminate the step-up in cost basis. So essentially when somebody passes, and let's say that they, they bought something for $100,000, and upon their death, it was worth one million. Well, the, their heirs would inherit that at a cost basis of one million or whatever it was at that date of death. They're going to eliminate that and now say that you have to pay. You're going to have to pay taxes on that nine hundred thousand dollar capital gain. So, to go one step further, it's not just paying taxes on that capital gain. Now it could be subject to an estate tax if it's worth over $1 million that gain. So now we're talking about a double taxation. The kicker is as well, and this is where we see a lot of problems created, is that this is going to impact the people they think that, you know, that they claim it's not going to. It's going to impact homeowners, small business owners. It's going to create a lot of liquidity issues down the road. And so what we're going to see is people are going to have to find other alternative ways to come up with, with the cash. Just, let's say you guys have had a home in your family for, you know, a hundred years. And now you may have this big step up in cost basis plus you must meet this estate tax we're talking 50 60 70 percent depending on what numbers we're looking at how do you pay for it you're going to liquidate it and get a fraction of what your family worked so hard for so this is a really frustrating uh, element to what they're talking about right now
1: well and we've talked about this on the show before and we can touch on this when we come back from the break but the easiest tax hike to get Done and passed is the estate tax because it's the one tax that affects the fewest number of individuals around the country. Not
2: anymore, not with these new numbers. I know. And, and you know, going back, I saw I did some research when I heard this, and it was. Uh, we'll come back to the other side of the break. Exactly. All right, don't go away. Be right back. <laughs>
0: The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June 24th realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show carry on my wayward son. there'll be peace when you are done lay your weary head to rest don't you cry no more
1: And welcome back to the show. Of course, um, I'm your host Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff joining this morning just for the break. Talk a little bit about the estate tax, and this is one of the taxes in the new Biden kind of plan. Um, you know where they're going after to try to raise taxes on the wealthy, right? We've got to. We want to spend all this money. There's going to be a demand to pay for that spending, right? And you know, try to offset that by increasing taxes on one group of people, you know, and not another. That never works, by the way. Once you increase taxes at the top, it tends to filter down to everybody else. So, you know, tax hikes affect everybody, and it affects the poor most of all, because they are the ones that have the least ability to absorb increases of higher taxes. Now, it doesn't mean that their tax rate goes up. What happens is, is that if you increase the taxes at the top end of the economic scale, prices increase to offset those increased taxes and they get passed down to everybody else. And this is why, you know, raising corporate taxes, it sounds like an easy catch, right? We're just going to get all those evil corporations to pay more in tax. Okay, great they're going to embed that higher tax rate into the cost of goods. Who is the who is the group of people least able to support higher prices? What is the one group that already spends nearly 40% of their income just on the basics of food? That's the bottom 20% of the population that can least afford higher prices. So it all sounds great in theory, right? Just doesn't really work out all that well. Um, you know, And furthermore, when the government comes out and you hear these words, you know, the rich need to pay their fair share. The rich already pay 90 percent of all the taxes.
2: Well, so so let's put that number in perspective. So the National Taxpayers Union Foundation came out and they they went and looked at the new tax code, the the Trump tax code, and essentially said because everybody said, wow, we're going to lower this. And they're going to get a free lunch. Nobody's going to pay their taxes. Well, the top one percent already pay forty percent of all taxes being paid. The top ten percent pay seventy-one percent of all taxes being paid. And the top twenty-five percent pay eighty-seven percent of all income taxes. Now, if you look at the very bottom half uh, of income, you know how much they pay.
1: They don't. They actually get a rebate.
2: Yeah. Well, in, in, so in twenty-eight, they get money back. They pay two point nine percent of all right. of all taxes, and so. This is a big redistribution of wealth. You're seeing it right before your eyes, as far as how this is actually working. But
1: this has been going on for decades. Well, it's not
2: new. No, it's not new, but this is extremely progressive in in the estate right. tax and the cost basis perspective. Right. And, and this is where I think it, it becomes very detrimental to because you know what we're doing is let's 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 face it, let's talk about the corporate tax rate going from 21 percent to 28 percent. That doesn't hurt those big corporations, those big bad corporations right. that you know that we're going after because they're not paying that now. But it's going to hurt the 48 percent of workers who work for small businesses who they're going to have to adapt. Mm-hmm. They're going to lower. You know, potentially, you could see wage growth really diminish. You could see, um, you know, hiring slow down or, or go away. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've got a lot of other problems with that. But now you 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 tie this in with the cost basis perspective. Now there's such a disrupt disruption, in the continuity of business. I mean, think about all the family owned businesses that are out there. That are potentially going to have to—they're going to go by the wayside—that employ a lot of people. What happens to them? Mm-hmm. Who's going to absorb that cost?
1: Well, and this—but this is the fallacy in the whole tax rate debate, right? We need so those evil corporations, right? There's, you know, it's, as Janet Yellen said, there's 57 major companies that paid no taxes last year. Yeah. Well, then go has do your to job. Do, has, well, it has nothing to do with the tax rate. It has everything to do with the tax code. You know. If don't don't there's the old saying is like don't hate the player hate the game right well don't, but it's not don't just hate, the tax code it is the tax code but it's it's the is,
2: subsidies they give them as well
1: it, well Amazon doesn't get a lot of subsidies right okay. but they don't pay any taxes why because of the tax code they invest a lot of money in R and D they have a lot of expenses so when you net out all your expenses and R and D research and all those type of th- all those tax deductions that you get for running your business they wind up paying no tax income tax right It offsets each other. And, and, this, and so the problem is if you want to fix the, the taxes, right, If you, it's not the tax rate. You could charge everybody a flat 10% and collect a whole lot more in taxes if you got rid of all the other stuff in the tax code, right? It, yeah, but it's, just that, it's just the problem is the code. It's not the rate. Correct. But, but
2: think about this with Amazon. I know everybody hates, loves to hate on Amazon. <laughs> but if they're spending the money on R&D, they're spending the money on the research on growing their company. Mm-hmm. Yet they're the one company we always see in the headlines that's actually hiring. Right. Right. So this could be a net net in many ways because they're putting more money in the economy, which therefore is being spent. More people have jobs. You're seeing higher wage growth. All positive things.
1: Right. And so I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. No, I, I know I, you're my, not. My, I'm point, just, my point is, is that it's the tax code. That's the that is really the problem. And we're never attacking the tax code. We're never remember Kevin Brady when he was the head of the finance committee. Everything on a postcard. uh, Yeah, we're going to have the entire tax structure on, you know, file your taxes on a postcard. We're going to streamline this. Look, for years, there's been arguments for a flat tax. Right. If you just charge everybody 10 percent of what they make, you're going to collect a lot more in tax revenue. Everybody's going to pay their fair share. Right. Because everybody there's no tax deductions. There's no credits, no nothing. You just pay 10 percent of your income. There's problems with that, though. We have charities all across this country that depend upon donations to do great work. St. Jude's Hospital. You know, uh, you know, medical organizations. I mean, just charity after charity doing cancer research, health research, you name it. There's a charity out there doing great work. That make the lives better for everybody that they touch. They depend upon tax-deductible charitable contributions. You know, this was this was one of even the the interesting things is that when Obama was President, Obama was bashing on corporate taxes and the tax code and all that. He was making lots of donations for the charitable tax. Right? I get that charitable tax deduction. So. It's never as easy as everybody says, oh, we can just fix this. We'll just go to a flat tax. There's consequences. And all of a sudden, if there is no tax deduction for charitable giving, how much money stops going to very important charities all around the country that depend upon those tax-deductible donations, right? So you've got to think about this. It all sounds great that we're going to go attack the rich people, right? Who are the people making charitable donations, it's not the poor. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's your wealthy individuals that are supporting these charities and founding these charities, right? All across the country that do a lot of great work for who? For the poor. So, you know, it's it's always a great political argument Let's you know, hey, let's go after these evil corporations. If you want to go after the evil corporations that aren't paying their fair share, great. Fix the tax code. But be aware that when you do that, There are a lot of negative consequences that come off with that as well.
2: Yeah, I think this is going to be, I'm hoping and praying that this is going to be muted compared to what the current, you know, uh, agenda looks like. But it's not going to be as bad as what we think. And I think that'll likely be the case. I don't think it's going to pass. You don't think any of it's going to pass? No. I think there's going to be elements of it that pass.
1: I'm not sure. I hope you're right. Well, it depends. Here's how the the problem is, is that the only way this passes is is through reconciliation, Mm -hmm. right? Which means that they've got to get it as part of the budget. So they're either going to have to wait until the next budget cycle, which is in September— when we get to the next budget cycle to try to run this through on reconciliation, because I don't think they can get it under reconciliation now. And it also, remember, to be under reconciliation, it has to specifically do with the budget. So there's a lot of things in this proposal that have nothing to do with the budget, which is going to make it even more difficult to pass under reconciliation. Well, I think a lot of it
2: has to do with the budget. They're trying to—
1: Well, no, some of it does, but there's a lot of things in here that don't. And, yeah. and you know, a lot of the spending programs and stuff that they want to do really has nothing to do with the budget. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can push it through under reconciliation they may they may they may get it done, but it's going to be an interesting and I think there'll be a lot of pushback you know by trying to do that Well,
2: as well. I think there has to be I mean you look at midterm elections coming up here next year, you're going to have both sides really probably hunkering down and on their positions say, hey, we fought this. Here's why. Here's what we're doing. And so, you know, you're going to have to see that big push one way or the other.
1: Well, and here's, and that brings up another interesting point. I mean, the, 20, the, the 2022 elections are coming up quick, right? And so if you get into September, October for the new budget cycle, that's only a year out until the next election cycle uh, for midterms. And this is really where the Senate and the House are, are really at risk potentially for loss of control. Uh, it only takes one, it only takes a one-seat change in the Senate, right, to lose control of the Senate for the Democrats. And, if, you know, I think there's six seats um, at risk that will flip the House, right? So, you know, there's a very narrow margin of control by the Democrats in both houses. So it's going to be interesting also is that a lot of these Democrats come from, you know, states moderate that places. are moderate, yeah. right? And they're not these very strong liberal centers like California. So... It's going to be interesting. They may actually start getting some pushback on some of these more liberal agenda items because these these senators and congressmen are about to have to go home to their district and defend their positions against potential Republican challengers. They're going to be fighting for those seats.
2: No, that's very true. I think if everybody knew exactly what the impact would be, I think people would think of you know very differently about this. You know, it's funny. We talked. to We have a lot of clients who I would say quote unquote or the millionaire next door. Not everybody would know that they're they've done yeah. well. And they say, well, you know, my uh, you know my, my daughter or my son they're they're so they're, they want all these higher taxes. They want all these things. And so, and I said, well, you know, what do you do? What do you do about it? And He's like, well, we had to have a conversation. I said, what? Well, I had to tell them what they'd be worth if I died today. And all of them changed their mind very quickly. <laughs> I said, no hey, this is not a good thing. Hell, hold on. You know, there should be no millionaires out there. And then all of a sudden that, that changed very quick. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's, it's, there, should be, there should be no other millionaires out there other than me. Correct. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's always interesting to, to be the anti-wealthy when you're not wealthy. Correct. But when you find out you're going to be wealthy. You're like, whoa, well, hey, maybe it's yeah. not so bad. <laughs> Let everybody keep their stuff. All right. Quick break. We'll be back. Get ready to wrap up the show. Don't go away.
0: Seasons don't fear the reaper No, you the wind, the sun, or the rain It'd be like they are Come
2: on, baby Don't fear the reaper Baby, take my hand
0: Listening to the Real Investment Show. You could be one of the seven in ten people requiring long term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long term care. Long term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long term care. June 24th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
1: Welcome back to the show. It is uh, 647 as we get uh, get ready to wrap up today's edition. Of course, it is Wednesday. Markets are going to open this morning. Eh, a little flat. Not a whole lot going on this morning again as we kind of get into the month of June. Tends to be one of the weaker months of the year. But again, we had a very strong May. So now that we had this kind of, you know, strong April, strong May run, it's been a very strong year so far. Markets up about eleven and a half percent for the year. Um, you know, it's not surprising that we could see a bit of a slowdown here, uh, potential, you know, correction this summer uh, before we get the next kind of traditional, you know, end of the year rally. So, again, just as. You know, markets are trying to to really start to, you know, deal with the aspect of potentially higher inflation, which raises higher costs for goods, which impacts earnings and, and growth for companies. At the same time, really just assessing what the strength of the economic recovery really is, because after this quarter, once we get through quarter two, Um, which year-over-year comparisons are going to be very strong. We get into quarter three, where we had a big recovery in economic growth in quarter three of last year. So those year-over-year comparisons become much weaker. So economic growth will begin to slow down, and we'll return back to around that 2% annualized growth rate by the time we get into 2022. So again, with valuations already very elevated and, and stock prices have already priced in a lot of the growth, it's going to become a bit more challenging to continue to push asset prices higher. This also potentially puts the Fed into a bit of a conundrum, right? And inflation is definitely here. Um, you know, the question is whether it's transient or not, right? The, the Fed is is continuing their purchases of mortgage-backed securities despite a, a housing, you know, a, a, a surge in housing prices to levels where people are, you know, having a, a problem finding affordability. Um, at the same time, they're also buying treasury bonds, which continues to you know, support asset markets. The question is, is at what point do they have to actually start potentially dealing with higher prices through inflation? And do they have to start hiking rates or tapering, uh, tapering their bond purchases to potentially offset the risk of, of even higher rates of inflation? Uh, that's going to be something that everybody's going to be paying attention to, particularly as we get closer to Jackson Hole which will be in September, which will be the annual Jackson Hole. That's where all the global central bankers get together for their annual confab uh, to talk about monetary policy. But that'll be where potentially we get that first hint that we're going to potentially start seeing a tapering of QE and, and potentially higher rates. And that was where back in 2018 that the Fed came out and said, oh, we're nowhere you know, near near uh, neutral. neutral rate, yeah. and then the 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 market took a twenty percent dump from October through December um, because of potentially the threat of tapering more qe and potentially hiking and and the continuation at that time of actually hiking rates so the
2: feds kind of telegraphing letting everybody know right now that that's what's coming right because they said well while we're not concerned at the moment we will have to start bringing that to the table to discuss
1: yeah they were they earlier this year they weren't even thinking about thinking about tapering and now they're thinking about thinking about tapering so you know it's been a very subtle change yeah but they are thinking about thinking yeah you gotta
2: watch the verbiage with those guys i know right (laughs) Yeah, so so essentially, you think that this this stacks up to be similar to that 2018 potentially in the sense that no, no, they no, made.
1: no big difference. Uh, 2018, remember, we were hiking rates, correct? And and what he said at, at Jackson was like, we're nowhere near a neutral rate, meaning he had to hike rates a whole lot more, and that was what just threw the market for a loop. We're not hiking rates. Yep. So, but, you know, if he does start talking about potentially reducing QE and potentially hiking rates, that could certainly put a 5 to 10% correction in the markets pretty quick.
2: Similar sentiment, likely not as bad. Correct. Okay, that makes sense. And so at that time in 2018, we were coming off two of the hottest quarters we'd ever seen from a, a year-over-year growth revenue coming off the Trump tax code. Right. Um, you know, I think we had, what, there's like 25 and 26% in Q2 and Q3, which is, I think, the best revenue numbers we'd ever seen yet. Interestingly enough, we had a bad year right. in markets.
1: Right. And actually, there's uh, plenty of history about that. Your strongest growth rate in earnings and actually your strongest growth rates in GDP have the worst performance years. Why is that? Because markets price it in ahead of time. Ah, you have to So it's, you know, it's like we've been running the markets up in anticipation of a very strong growth year in the economy and a big, strong earnings recovery. So markets price that all in. And then the risk becomes that they overprice the expectation, and then you get a disappointment. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is what happened in 2018.
2: Or you just tell everybody you're going to raise rates. Right.
1: <laughs> or that. It's same, same thing. So, but yeah, that's it. So um, what's our next uh, Lunch and Learn coming up?
2: So we've got June 24th, we're going to do uh, Lunch and Learn on long-term care. So obviously, another big hot topic right now as we're doing financial plans, this is sometimes the elephant in the room of how do couples address this or how do people address this individually? And, and usually, unfortunately, uh, for you ladies out there, you guys take care of us and something or somebody needs to take care of you, which is why you know we like to make sure that this is one of those topics that needs to be addressed. And so very um, lots of questions about this we get on a regular basis. So we're going to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly kind of all about long term care and, you know, what it was and what it is today, because the industry has evolved significantly and they've made it a a little bit more affordable, um, more efficient as far as how we go about attaining a policy, things of that nature. So um, we're going to talk about that on the 24th. Go to Real Investment Advice. You can sign up under the events tab. We would love to have you guys there. Uh, So that's realinvestmentadvice.com. Go to the events for long-term care webinar. Typically going to be about, you know, 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour with questions. So uh, not a whole lot of time commitment, but you'll learn quite a bit.
1: They're always interesting.
2: I know you're already asleep just thinking about it.
1: (laughs) Well, Well, Lance, Lance. Oh, great.
2: Financial planning. (laughs) He thought we were talking about something else, Brent. Do you see that? (laughs) Yeah, you mentioned lunch. He thought you were talking about yeah, food. I, I know, <laughs> yeah. right? Wait, where are we going? What are we doing? <laughs> no, they're,
1: they're always very interesting, very educational.
2: Well, like, no, they they are, and you know, we try to keep it light, and because these are topics that are, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of meat to it, and we want to make sure that it's a, it's easy to digest. See how we segue there with that with lunch and learn, and <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs>
1: All I'm saying is, it's not Whataburger.
2: <laughs> hey, maybe it's the Chick-fil-A of webinars.
1: Uh, yeah, but they're not open on Sunday. did they My kids were so excited when Chick-fil-A put out that they were going to start opening on Sundays. Yeah. Until they realized it was an April Fool's joke. <laughs> <laughs> then they were just mad at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> they were mad at Chick-fil-A for like a month.
0: <laughs> did you see the sign? Uh, at the Burger King, says, we serve chicken on Sundays. No. And next door, Chick-fil-A put a sign out and says, yeah, but our ice cream machines work.
1: All the time, yes. No, that was McDonald's. <laughs> was it McDonald's? It was McDonald's, yeah. McDonald's is the one that's, that's famous for their ice cream machine ah, not working, yeah. so that's Yeah, oh, that's
2: great. That's too good.
1: Anyway, i going to tell Joe get the punchline right.
2: Uh- <laughs> fast food is fast food. Yeah. <laughs> Sentiments all the same, Lance. Come on.
1: Anyway, anyway, uh, a couple of last things just to kind of wrap up today. Uh, earnings out today, uh, we've got Advanced Auto Parts coming out this morning and this afternoon. We have Splunk and C3. Again, we're kind of getting to the end of the uh, earnings season. So m- most of the majority of the big-name corporations have already announced earnings. Um, so now we're going to really get into what's happening really with the economic numbers. Um, now with earnings behind us, you know, that's the focus is going to turn back to some of the economic data, which... You know, if you take a look at a lot of these uh, numbers that are coming out, we're seeing a bit of disappointment here. Um, You know, the recent unemployment number was well short of expectations. Uh, Friday, we get another employment number, and that's also potentially going to be short of expectations as well if we have a continuation of what we saw last month. So, again, you know, we're starting to see a bit of disappointment. That's going to start to ratchet in some of these higher expectations of growth that were expected earlier this year see those numbers come down. And if those if those numbers start to come down, we're going to start to see downward revisions in earnings estimates, which have also gotten extremely elevated here over the course of the last, really, since the end of the year, we've had a very sharp ramp up in earnings expectations through 2022. Um, if we start to see weaker economic data, those expectations are going to get wretcheded down, which then puts prices of markets at risk as markets begin to reprice for lower expectations. So again, there's, there's a, a few consequences here to pay attention to as we move, kind of move through the summer. And importantly, as we start to get into the third quarter, where a lot of the year-over-year base effects, that's where we compare this year versus this time last year, that shutdown created a very big surge in those base effects. In other words, we're comparing a dollar's worth of growth you know, this quarter to no growth last year, right? So you got these big jumps in growth that are going to start to go away next quarter. So, again, there's going to be a lot of things that markets have to start to price in and, and deal with. And, and, again, this is why we're talking about this. Sometime this summer, you know, we still suspect that we're going to have a bit more volatility pick up, potentially a 5% correction or so this summer, certainly well within the norms of you know an, a, an annual market year. Every year, you generally get a 5% correction. That's, that's very normal for any year. We haven't had one since August of last year. So we've had a very long stretch now, and the market's without a 5% correction. So just statistically speaking, um, the markets are kind of set up to have a bit of correction sometime this summer. And again, that's not the end of the world. There'll be a buying opportunity to put some capital to work. But you know, just being, kind of being prepared for it, it's been so long since we've had that type of volatility. When it comes, A, it's going to feel much worse than it is. And, B, all the headlines are going to be filled with how the markets just crashed. <laughs> and so, you know, oh, my gosh, the hair's on fire. Um, you know, you don't want to get swept up into that emotional bias. So, you know, being prepared for it and understanding that it's coming will help you navigate it a bit better.
2: What well, if we do get some bad data that may actually be good for markets to some extent, thinking there could be more stimulus on the horizon, right?
1: Well, it, the the first thing that will happen if we get a 5% correction. We'll have the Fed reverse course on their comments, and they'll stop Correct. thinking about thinking about tapering. So. We'll go back to that. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Got to wrap up the show for today. of course. I'll be back tomorrow, Thursday's edition. Michael Ewood's joining me tomorrow. We will pick up on what the Fed is thinking about, thinking about, potentially thinking about uh, as we head into summer. Uh, that'll be tomorrow with Michael Ewood. See so get by the website today. Our new articles are posted on the website as well. Lots of new stuff in the hopper always coming out at realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Money,
0: money, money. Always Get daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: It's a rich, rich, rich world.